for your promise that if we go to the word that we'll encounter you there. And tonight, Lord, this is some, it's kind of a serious uh, passage that I didn't really realize was so serious until I really dove in and, and found what your, what your promises are from us in Exodus chapter 17. And tonight, Lord, we want this to not be an academic exercise that we could be smarter and impress our friends, but that we could actually get to know you and meet you um, in the words. In Jesus' name, amen. So Exodus 17, and if you're um, joining us on the web tonight or through podcast or whatever, we, we are a, we just go through the word. We're not fancy. We don't have PowerPoint. I didn't even change my shirt, <laughs> you know, but we, but, uh, and some of you are like, man, you really ought to have done that. Um, my wife actually did bring one for me, but sorry, that's on me. So if I smell a little salty, just get over that side of the room and you'll be cool. But I love how every verse, every word of the word is actually inspired. And at every point we go through it, I just something jumps out. And, Man, I never saw that before. And I've been, a, I've been a Bible geek since I was a little kid. I would stay up till like the middle of the night, like with a blanket over my head and a flashlight reading Chronicles. I mean, that's what kind of a nerd I was. And so the fact that I still read and think, man, I never saw that before. And I'm, by the way, no means a theologian. I don't own, I mean, I do own a pipe, but I don't own any sort of like tweed jacket with the little leather patches on the you know, elbows. And I didn't go to any sort of, yeah, well, okay, it's ours. Oh, I used to. Um, but I, it's like the Lord is still there. And if you encounter the word with a sense of expectancy, right, a sense of this is a conversation between you and the Lord, and it's a supernatural book. It requires a supernatural approach, meaning that if you're letting the Spirit lead you, this isn't just an Ayn Rand book, you know. This isn't the Lord of the Rings. This is a supernatural communication from the Lord. And so from Exodus 17, the whole Israeli Israelite community set out, verse 1, from the desert of Sin, traveling from place to place as the Lord commanded. This is, um, we're coming to Rephidim, which is stop number seven. The thing I love about the journey of Israel is it's just like our lives. It's just a journey. They were headed someplace. They were headed to this destination, but most of this book is just about the journey, the stops they were on. We saw them stop at a place of victory. We saw them stop at a place of, of dryness and a place of rest. And that's where we're coming tonight is another place of, of rest for them. But it's rest uh, with a twist, as you might expect from the Lord. So they camped at Rephidim. I'm sure they called the local KOA and got the water hookups. And KOA, have you ever been to a KOA? Can't remember. Um, but there was no water for the people to drink. And so they quarreled with Moses and said, give us water to drink. Moses replied, why do you quarrel with me? Why do you put the Lord to the test? But the people were thirsty. For water, for there was, uh, there were, blah, 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 verse three, but they were, people were thirsty for water there. And they grumbled again, Moses, against Moses. They said, this might be the moment in my life where I got to get glasses. Can we just say that right now? Can we just declare that Darren can't see? I'm like, weird. You know, when people get old, sometimes you see them do this and I'm suddenly getting it. Weird. But the people were thirsty for water there and they grumbled against Moses. They said, why did you bring us up out of Egypt to make us and our children and livestock die of thirst? And then Moses cried out to the Lord, what am I to do with these people? They're almost ready to stone me. And the Lord answered Moses, walk on ahead of the people. Take with you some of the elders 
of Israel and take in your hand the staff with which you struck the Nile and go. And I will stand there before you by the rock at Horeb. Strike the rock and water and will come out of it from the, uh, for the people to drink. And so Moses did this in the sight of the elders of Israel. And he called the place Massah and Meribah because the Israelites quarreled and because the, they tested the Lord saying, is the Lord among us or not? What jumped out at me as I jumped and saw this again today was this is actually a, a trial being set up. Like you look at a couple other translations that you've tried the Lord, you've tested the Lord. I don't know, has anybody ever been involved in litigation before? Okay, because I have, okay, no fun. Because what you have is somebody in there who is accusing you of doing something. And what I learned as time went on was that they actually made a decision about me and my company and my peers based upon fact mixed with assumption, okay? Because they weren't there. So they had some limited information on us. And then they made some assumptions about us. And from that, they sued us and they drug us into court. And we had to put a suit and tie on. It was not pretty at all. And in America, the good news is, is you're innocent until proven guilty. The problem is, is that you have to pay to prove that you're innocent. And in, in, uh, in our terms, it was $450 an hour that we paid to prove that we were innocent. And so $138,000 later, when the judge for like the 14th time said, no, this is, you know, we basically said this is, you know, we're going to go to trial here, but there's no, you know, you, you might want to reconsider to the people that were suing us. And at that point, we realized that, uh, like I thought, because on the TV, right, we're like, no, no, I'll stick it to them. We're going because, we, you know, we're, we countersued. And, we're, you know. and our lawyer sat down and made us, like, realize what that would look like, which was that even if we win for the countersuit, then we got to go back to trial again, and then they're going to appeal, and then another $100,000 later, we still may not get... I'm thinking, man, that's not how it happened on the TV. So anyway, uh, all that to say, this is what is actually unfolding. You see God saying, I'm going to go ahead of you. And there's a guy named Tim Keller who's a lot smarter than I am. I've read some of his stuff. And he actually says that that phrase, go ahead of you, is not the same phrase like when God says, I'm going to go ahead of you to the promised land, which is the go ahead of you with the big, you know, show of power enforced in a military kind of way. This is, I'm going to stand in front of you. I'm going to the front of the class, so to speak, so that you can accuse me. So he sets up this willingly condescends to their level and says, here I am. I'm going to go to the rock. And this beautiful picture unfolds. He stands on the rock. He says, God, will go ahead of you. Stand on the rock. And he tells to Moses, tells to Moses, <laughs> tells Moses, to take the staff. Now, keeping in mind, this is the staff that had turned to a serpent, okay? This is the staff that turned the Nile to blood, that staff. And he says to Moses, picture this, you got the elders on one side, they're saying, look, are you here? Are you among us? Or are you not? You've got God in front of them on the rock, and you've got Moses with his staff, with the sign of authority, with the sign of judgment of sin that had turned into a serpent, this picture of sin, this picture of judgment and he strikes the rock. And the good thing, and I think that this is honestly, if, if we don't get any further, and I, I'm not gonna talk a lot because I wanna hear your thoughts on it, but I guess what I felt comforted from it was they had a legitimate question. Like, God, you know, seriously, we're thirsty. We're in the desert again. 
And it isn't like they hadn't just seen him give them water before, okay? And I have a tendency to think, well, you know, you know, get over yourself. But here they are again, and I'm not so sure that it was a question of, you know, God, can you do this? But God, why aren't you doing this? If, if that makes sense. It's like when I look at Haiti, when I look at Rwanda, and I think, God, I mean, seriously, what, what up? And what's interesting to me is that God doesn't choose to answer this question with reasoning. He answers it with a person. Because we can try to unpack this and we can have these theological conversations that guys like Bill Maher think that we're crazy about. But he answers it with a question. And the question is answered right here because it was a few thousand years later. And and I know this because Paul in 1 Corinthians 10, I'm not making this up, he actually says that in this picture, this thing that these people were living out, that God actually was painting a picture of Jesus. Jesus Christ was the rock. And you've got God standing on the rock, in the rock. And you've got that staff of judgment that was, instead of saying, instead of God being angry with them, instead of God saying, are you, are you kidding me? He says, strike me. I'll take it. I'll take your sin. I'll take the things that you and I deserve there was a, um, an essay contest some years back in England, and it was, the, the essay question was, what's wrong with the world today? And it was won by a, a young guy named G.K. Chesterton, Chesterton, who actually um, inspired C.S. Lewis. But his answer won with two words, what's wrong with the world today? And his answer was, it's me. Or no, it's I am. I am what's wrong with the world today. Because you and I, we're humans, and we mess stuff up. And what we want is God to deal with this world with justice. And the problem with justice is you and, all, you and I, I mean, how can God deal with the world completely justly at this point without wiping all of us out? It's not, a, it's not a question of how is it possible that somebody in Haiti could be living in this way. It's why are you and I not living this way? How is it possible that any of us are not? And one day, God will set everything right again. And it is coming. It is a time that is coming. And in Isaiah 35, it actually talks about, I mean, if you understand, the world wasn't meant to be a desert. Like on day number six, it doesn't say that God made a desert, right? This this is not a perfect part of the world. Isaiah 35 tells us that on that day, it talks about that day coming, that all the deserts will turn green like this with the mountains of Lebanon. And it it paints a picture of what's going to happen is a, a new heaven and a new earth and a new Jerusalem. And in the meantime, what we have is we have Jesus we don't have the answers, absolutely not. I, don't, I still don't understand it. I can try to explain it, but there's a moment where my understanding of God's reality, there's a gap, and I can't cross it, but Jesus can. And I go to the cross, and there's, I know you've heard me say the cheesy statement before, but when you cross-examine a situation and say, look, I don't understand it, but I take it to the cross, and I get it there, because it isn't an answer. Intellectually, the answer is a person. And when Jesus was struck on the cross, And from his own side, blood, which speaks of the forgiveness of sin, and water, which speaks of the Holy Spirit, flowed from his side. That's our refreshment. And we don't understand, I don't think, fully the picture of water. Because you and I have been thirsty before, but we haven't been that thirsty. I I met a young man once who was one of the, uh, the lost boys from Sudan. And the thing that struck him when he got to America was that we had so much water 
after we got done looking at a microwave, going, wow, there's no fire, they're cooking, um, was that we had so much water that we'd decorate with it. Like, this is a kid that had been walking through the desert for most of his childhood and drinking his own urine at times. And here he comes to Atlanta airport, and there's so much water that they're decorating the place with it. He was completely confused by it. But that's a young man that understood thirst. And it's a young man that probably if he'd have been standing in the crowd that day when Jesus, John chapter 7, you can go there later, was the Feast of Tabernacles, which was the feast that when they would celebrate it every year, was seven days. And it was to celebrate the desert, that God had fed them in the desert, that God had given them something to drink in the desert. And for seven days, every day, the priest would go to the pool of Siloam and he would bring this pitcher of water and he would bring it to the temple and he would pour it on the altar. And it would be their commemoration and they would celebrate. On the eighth day, they did something really curious. They took that pitcher and the priest would walk to the pool of Siloam. He would mimic what he did. He would act like he was getting water from the pool and he would walk back and the parade. This day would be a little more somber because what they knew that this spoke of was the Messiah that was to come. And Isaiah 44 talks about water and the Messiah. This was that feast. And they would take it and they would emulate pouring water on the altar. But this time it was empty because it was another year that Messiah had not come. So imagine that scene unfolding year after year after year. And that day was quiet. It would have been somber. It would have been silent. And so imagine from when out of left field, Jesus, the same Jesus that the Pharisees had sought before, just a few verses earlier, they couldn't find him. He disappeared into the crowd. At this point, he stands up from a silent crowd. And he, and he doesn't say he says, he says he cried with, a, cried with a loud voice that I am the water. I am the, all who come to me. If you're thirsty, come to me. This is Jesus, the one that says that the woman at the well, that out of your belly would flow rivers of living water. This, he spoke of the Holy Spirit. And if we understood thirst like the kid from Sudan, like the kid in Haiti understands thirst, like these folks in the desert understood thirst, it spoke of the metaphor of our thirst for the Lord. That we can try whatever we want, whether it's TV, whether it's video games, whether it's our relationships, we're never gonna satisfy that thirst. It's only quenched with the Lord, with the Holy Spirit. And I think that if if nothing else, as we look at the word tonight, know this, that in the middle of our desert, in the middle of our questions, that there's a foreshadowing, and it's the Holy Spirit for us. It was Jesus struck at the cross, Jesus who paid the consequences for our sins, paid our debts that we could never afford to pay. It was in a currency that we don't even have, our sin. That he took care of that, and he painted a picture just like he painted the picture for Israel. He paints a picture for us that it won't always be this way. That there's a time when justice will be served. When those who have rejected Christ, those who would say, you know, I would not have you to be the Lord over me. Those that are Amalek, which we see in the same chapter, the Amalek, the folks that were the descendants of Esau that would become the arch, arch or arch enemies of Israel. That those that would say, God, I would not have you to be my Lord, that they'll be dealt with, that there is a time coming for that. Jesus is going to come and open up a can of whoop God, and he's going to take care of it. And everybody that, was, that, that deserves that at that point, and the rest of us, man, let's thank God that, that Jesus took that for us, for the wickedness in my heart, for the wickedness of your heart, for every lying, deceitful thing that we've done. That God, I don't want justice for me, and I don't want it for you. I want grace, and I want mercy. And I want the, the staff 
to strike the rock, Jesus, and not to strike me. And thank God that, it, that that's the picture that he painted. So what, uh, what jumped out to you guys tonight as you saw it? Jay, I mean, you and I were back and forth all day. Jay's my theology bumper board. Bumper board? Sounding board? You've got to talk loud because I think your mom is online tonight. Come up here so your mama can see you. It's Jay's mom. It's her uh, name. She's very proud that you made hamburger helper on your own. You could hardly tell he's a beginner. Yeah. Um, bring the big screen up here. Come on. Making me look bad. Uh, the one thing that um, that stuck out to me was right at the beginning, there's this phrase, and, and it says, the congregation of the sons of Israel journeyed by stages from the wilderness of sin according to the command of the Lord. Um, they were in the will of the Lord. They were walking as God instructed them, and yet they still came upon hard times. And the, th the thing, I was reading through some stuff, and it just kind of stuck out to me that we can be, and for me personally, even, you know, like today, can be in hard times and still be in the will of the Lord. Um, and there's just kind of this sense of just because things are not going smoothly or the way that we would like have them, because I think we talked about this a few weeks ago, like, I'm sure that if you asked Israel, how would you prefer to be provided for? Um, I don't know, maybe a day spa and an oasis would be great. Or lunch. Oh yeah, or lunch. Uh, but instead they're just kind of going as the Lord leads and now they're thirsty. Lord, you sent us here. Here we are. It was the same thing when they got brought to the, you know, the, the, the banks of the river as the Egyptian army was kind of encroaching upon them. It's like, why, why this? Why do we have to come here? But it's, it's all part of this overarching theme or arcing theme. <laughs> of of God's provision for his glory. Um, and, you know, there was some more stuff that we talked about as far as, like, uh, there's a ton of correlations in this kind of story of Exodus and the Lord's Prayer. And you see, as Jesus is teaching us to pray, he says, lead us not into temptation. And temptation is sort of an illusion. Jesus, right before he started his ministry, was led into the wilderness. And Israel's walking through the wilderness, and so there's a correlation between wilderness and temptation, hunger and thirst. Um, and then it says, deliver us from evil, which is you know, similar to Amalek, like, help us get out of this mess. But as, as that kind of ties together, Jesus is sort of teaching us to pray and saying, you know, it'd be better if we didn't have to hunger and thirst and strive. Pray that that's the way it is, but sometimes God has different plans, and that's okay, too. And it doesn't mean that you're not in his will. It just means he's doing something that we don't understand. And to me, that's fundamental because the, the, the theological string that I grew up in, if you had problems in your life, the first thing you would do is look for the sin that you're doing that's brought it on yourself, right? I mean, did anybody else grow up that way? Like in the minute something was going wrong, I mean, I must be doing something wrong. And it's brought this on me. And I don't know that that's necessarily true. I'm reminded of that, the, the, the man that was born blind and they, everybody was asking, why was he born blind? And it was he maybe had sinned, maybe his father had sinned and Jesus said, no, no, he was not born blind because of sin. He was born blind so that on this day, God could be glorified, which is a somewhat startling thing for Jesus to have said. But I bet my left arm um, 
which I'm ambidextrous, so I kind of need. That, that guy 2,000 years later in heaven isn't like ticked off that he was born blind. He's like, oh, that makes sense. And he'll be with us, Revelation says, around the throne saying, God, righteous and true are your judgments. I get it now. I didn't understand it here. That's where faith comes in for me to believe. Okay, I don't understand it, but God, you do. And I think that's what was really, and I don't I mean get your thoughts on it, but I think that in my life, what I've had to realize, because what God was saying to these guys was this, that because when Moses says, you're complaining against me, they were complaining against him and the Lord. They didn't understand they were complaining against the Lord. And it really comes down to, do I really believe that God is in control or not? And so if I'm in a situation where I got a jerk off boss or I got, you know, whatever, a band that I'm not happy with or whatever the situation is, okay, do I not trust that God is in control enough that he put me in this situation and that I'm, so I'm in this slow roast for today, not for my betterment, not, I mean, not for my destruction, not to show me up, but to show me off, to make me stronger, to put me, I mean, I've been at the gym again. A guy named Mike Pappas, who, you know, I'd like to say some foul language about, but I won't. But he made me do the core exercises. Are you familiar with the core exercises? And I didn't even do a lot of core exercises, and I want you to know that I couldn't even sneeze yesterday, okay? <laughs> I had to stop mid-sneeze because it was like, oh, because <laughs> it hurt so bad. Like, I thought I was going to have to install a handicap bar at my house at the bathroom because I'm like, I can't, I'm just paralyzed. But that's the pain that I have to go through if I want to be in shape. When I get to heaven, well, this whole faith journey, this building of my faith and requires some uncomfortable moments in my life. And it, I don't know what we thought, but when Jesus, when, when Hebrews, I think it's chapter 6, I can't remember, now, but it talks about disciplining and a father loves his sons. But it goes on to say, count the, 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 the trials and tribulations in your life as discipline from the Lord. Not punishment. Discipline is like boot camp. It's like us getting in shape. And so when those bad situations come along, I can be mad about them all day long and I can grumble about them. And hey, here's the good news. God can take it. Because what did God do when they were grumbling against him? He said, okay, come on, bring it on. I'm on trial now. Strike the rock and see what I can do. See that I really do love you. So he's not going to get angry. I mean, that's why the, you know, the book of Psalms is like, you know, half David spouting off and half David going, oh, never mind. I get it now. It's like us. It's our lives, right? So what else? What jumped out at you guys when you read this Tonight, or maybe you've, I don't, we only got, what, five verses in, so sorry about that. Anything stand out to you? Jay, you got any more meat from your hamburger helper? <laughs> the Jesus burger helper. Later, Write that down. Really? So the rock follows them? I think I ever saw that. The rock is here. Yeah, you're like, I could swear that rock is looking at me. Where does it say that? Somebody Google. Jay's Googling. The rock followed him. Like, I could swear that. Didn't we just see that rock yesterday? I don't know, man. We're in the desert. They all kind of look the same. <laughs> I think the rock... That's a good point if they were just, they were lapping it. <laughs> I do, I think it's fascinating that this is where Amalek is introduced to us. 
And I think it's Deuteronomy 27-ish. Just write that down somewhere in that range. It talks about what the Amalekites would do, which was they would basically wait. They were like the, uh, the hyenas of Israel. They would wait for the feeble and the slacker. So this, think, think about this. Next time you're going to come sit in the back row of church. They were the ones that got picked off. Like the Amalekites that were the ones that they would take the ones in the back and pick them off and kill them in the weak and the, the feeble. And, and later it would be the Amalekites that, that, uh, that Saul was told to kill. And uh, I think it's Second Samuel, right? In the first, Second King, First Kings. Anyway, it's last chapter of First Kings, and, and then the first chapter of Second Kings, when Saul is dying there on that hill after he was told to kill, wipe them all off the face of the earth. And uh, the guy that comes with a spear to kill Saul, he says, "Who are you?" And he doesn't say his name, but he says, "What?" He says, "I am the Malachite, the very thing that he was told to kill." And there it was to kill him. So interesting. Throughout history, they were. Uh, some of the earliest anti-Semitic, you know, Jew killers, starting way back. You find it? Yeah. For I do not want you to be unaware, brethren, that our fathers were all under the cloud and all cast into the sea, and all were baptized into Moses in the cloud and the sea, and all ate the same food, even drank the same spiritual drink. They were drinking from the spiritual cloud which followed them. Fascinating. So that was their drinking fountain. Huh. Wonder if it was chilled. I like chilled water. Huh. Maybe it's Maybe. But it, he does say the rock followed him. We'll have to go home and unpack that. That's a fascinating piece of uh, meat to unpack because it is certain. I mean, obviously, if he can tap a rock and water comes out of it, clearly he can make it follow him. Right. Throw, throw a rock in there. Yeah. I do love the folks... Like these folks, especially modern day Christians, who will even go so far as to say, I don't necessarily believe Genesis was allegorical, Genesis couldn't be literal. But you believe that Jesus rose again from the dead, right? So so that that's not a leap for you, but I'm gonna choose so it's picking and choosing the craziness of God. Um because he's pretty smart. What else? Anything else? Jump out at anybody? Yeah. Right. Right. Well, at what point do you feel like kind of a jerk? Like, oh, crud. Yeah. Right. But, you know, I think that that's a real truth, though, for us as, as spiritual maturity. A sign of that is the, okay, I can yell at God, or I can just say, hey, God, I trust you. And either way, I think water would have come. He still was going to provide for him one way or the other. 
and I spent a lot of time in my 20s kind of ticked, you know, about stuff. And now that I get older, you know, the weird situations that unfold in my life. I mean, I work in the music business. You don't think there's some weird stuff that happens every day? I actually remind myself to, okay, God, I, I'm going to work really hard. I'm going to do what I'm supposed to do. But at the end of the day, you're going to, you're in control. And not that I do that right every time. I give myself maybe 50-50 at this point. I mean, I, look, I'm thinking if I get to 60%, I'm going to be thrilled. But, but there's so much freedom in that, you know, just saying, okay, God, look. I don't know why this happened. I don't know why this thing fell apart or this plan wasn't, didn't work. Or, um, but I give it to you um, and let you, you know, know that I'm, what am I supposed to learn in this? What am I supposed to get from this? As opposed to, you know, what can I be mad about this? Um, so, because I, I can be mad. doesn't matter. <laughs> I mean, what do you think? Maybe that's what Jesus meant when he said, don't worry about tomorrow. It's got plenty of stuff to worry about. You know, when you get there, just take care of today. So, what else? Kind of a meaty chapter. I mean, we didn't even get past verse 8, but... <laughs> he promises to blot Amalek out from under heaven. A promise he kept. Imagine being the pastor of that church. <laughs> I mean, it's a thankless job. I mean, he's probably not even getting paid. You know what I mean? I mean, ain't it like Moses ain't thirsty either, you know? Right. Take a lot of bullets for it. But yeah, you think about that, you know, with wherever you guys are, whether it's in a spiritual situation or church, I mean, it's our tendency to get ticked off and to blame the leadership of the pastor or the, you know. And I think that what we ultimately have to do is just give God Maybe not them, but give God the benefit of the doubt. You know, what I didn't get when I was being sued was the benefit of the doubt. <laughs> I got a, I'm thinking, no, I'm the nicest guy I know. You can't do, I swear, you know. And, and I had this idea that as long as I was really, really honest with them that, you know, which is what my attorney thought too. I wish I could get my money back for that part. Not, not that I didn't want to be honest, but, but I'm in there, no, I'll explain everything, you know. And, and they were like, no, 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 this is, you're lying to us. And because I didn't get the benefit of the doubt. And I think that what we got to give God is that, that I, I don't understand this, but I, I give you the benefit. I give you the benefit of knowing that since Jesus did what he did, that you've got a, you got a plan here. And even if I don't get it this side of heaven, that I will someday. And again, and I love this passage. I've hung on it for so many years now that we will stand before the throne and say, righteous and true are your judgments, God. Right next to the guy that was born blind, right next to Mother Teresa, right next to every martyr that was ever sawed in half sideways uh, and say, God, you were right on. That was awesome the way you did that. That was cool. Hurt, but it was cool. It worked. And I, I, um, I guess I can delete it. Um, Cause I'm not sure if I'm supposed to share this story, but there's a, a young man from Portland actually um, who just moved here. Parents are uh, pastoring a church. And he was uh, 
actually tried to come here three weeks ago, but he got lost. Imagine that. And and I just emailed, him, hey, how you doing, Brian? Seen you? And he said, man, the weirdest thing happened. He he had a brother with Down syndrome. And uh, and his mom actually came to the concert in Portland, uh, and they went to a Blazers game three weeks ago, Sunday, yesterday, and the little boy, I say little boy, whatever, teenager, Down syndrome, wandered off from the game, as he sometimes would do, the, the, the guy said, and, and um, was ran over in the interstate, and uh, and was on life support, was in a sedated coma. They, they took him off life support, the young man. And so here's this, maybe, I don't know, 21-year-old kid emailing me saying, but man, God, but, you know, my parents' church started and 500 people were there and the kingdom is being advanced and we're going to see him again in heaven. And I'm like, there's a kid that just gave God the benefit of the doubt. I'm not saying that God drove a car and killed the kid, right? But theologically speaking, Genesis 49, when Joseph said, look, what you guys meant for evil in my life, God meant, God took for good. So even Joseph, now keeping in mind, this was like Monte Cristo style, okay? He'd been in prison for how long, you know? And said, but God used it for good. And here's a young man saying about his brother who has Down syndrome that he's in heaven today and God's using it for good. And I'm sure if you were to get him by himself that he, you know, he's obviously hurt and hurt and he's sad just like his whole family was. But they're giving God the benefit of the doubt in that situation. And I think that if anything, this is, a, this is so fundamental and it's so maybe, maybe thinking, why do we cover this so many times? And I think it's because we've got to get this because we're going to come across these things in our lives. And it's so much more freeing to be able to give it to the Lord and just say, I trust you. I get it. I don't understand the situation, but I get you and I get the cross. I don't get an answer, but I get a person. I get Jesus. So, anything else? It's, uh, it's 8.30. We could, you got your guitar? I mean, I, I can't think of anything more appropriate than after uh, encountering the Lord like this than to maybe worship him. Uh, he's like, he's God. And um, Jay's mom says, uh, I'll give you some of the stuff on here. We're talking about Grub Hamburger Helper. Wait a minute. Uh, Alan says that back then they thought blindness was caused by sin. That's why Jesus was encountering it. Jay's mom says the key is to give it to him and not to take it back. It's true because I want to hold on to it, right? <laughs> I want to squeeze it and make it my own. And maybe that's what Jesus was talking about when he said to cast our cares on him for he cares for us. His burden is light. His load is easy. Oh, I'll back. Jay?
got this email from uh, our friends. We not only support the work we're doing, but we've supported other missionaries and Mark and Victoria Bowling, who are a couple that we, have, that we support consistently. That just, uh, just got back from Thailand. This is the guy that was in Sudan last month. Um, just not afraid. Uh, as I was asked to fund and preach the crusade and conference uh, at the crusade we saw an estimated 1,600 people receive Christ. Night after night, the crowd would signify by the raising of hands that they had, whether or not they'd ever even heard the gospel story. The people were responsive and expectant. Miracles were abundant. The deaf heard. The paralyzed were made whole. People came out of wheelchairs and other various diseases were cured. At least one church, possibly two, were planted the week of the crusade. In the conference, six leaders received the Holy Spirit. Eleven leaders set a combined uh, goal to plant 45 more churches. Uh, just one week in the streets and schools, more than 4,000 people came to the Lord. Uh, right now we're making preparation for our May crusade in the Sudan. Remember, this is the guy that I told you that flew to the Sudan with no money. Like his budget was not even close to met. He was $12,000 short when he got on the plane thinking... I've flown to Africa. That's a long flight. I suspect it would feel longer <laughs> when you don't have the money. <laughs> by the time he landed, some random somebody, we'd given him, a conduit had given him a few hundred dollars, you know, all we had left in our account. And uh, by the time he landed, a, a lady had given him, I guess we gave him $500 of what it was, and a lady that he'd never met before got the email forwarded to her and sent $12,000 in. So by the time he landed, he had $12,500 in his account. You know, those are those stories that you just, you hear and you think, okay, God, you really are in control. Okay, if, if you ever struggle with doubt or what, like, you know, sometimes I wonder, you know, I'm like, okay, those are the stories. Like, okay, that's God working in our world. So that's from Mark tonight. He's got a picture here of a lady whose right size was paralyzed, was healed. If you don't believe in miracles, like, I, I mean, I get it because I've seen TBN. Like, don't get me wrong. But these are the, the these kind of signs and wonders are what Jesus said would follow those who believe. We're not to follow signs and wonders. You can always know if there's people, a bunch of people following, trying to get to where the signs and wonders are happening. That is not what that is not the Lord. But if somebody's going and into there, they're like the it's like the shock and awe. This is like the Colin Powell doctrine of spiritual warfare. The over 
overwhelming show of force. This is the, the air support for the ground invasion. We're the ground troops, and when we go into where the enemy territory is, God supports it with the, with the shock and awe campaign. And uh, that's what we see there. So anyway, uh, guys, thank you. Thanks for the support. Um, you know, we don't have money for a bucket because we gave it away, uh, the money. <laughs> Those, uh, I say this, but just in case you don't know, we're a conduit. We're not a pool, so we clean out our accounts every month. We, don't, we keep 10% aside for uh, expenses, but when we don't have expenses, we end up giving that away as well. Uh, that's the reason we gave away 96.5% of the money that came in last year to our ministry. It flows right out. We're a pipe. We're not a pool. Uh, we're God's. We're the toilet that flushes God's resources into the system. So, you don't like the metaphor, you get what you pay for. You go to a real church, you can get real metaphors, but until then, you're stuck with me. <laughs> but isn't it great to be a part of something bigger than ourselves? I mean, we're not just taking up space, man. This is like, like I genuinely am excited to write, and I don't make much money, I mean, good Lord, you know, but what money I have, you know, that's the beauty of it, is that, and I love this, I saw a $2 donation on PayPal this week, but... Yes, that guy gets it. Like, he gets it. Like Because Paul said, according to what you're able. Right. And all I know is this. If you don't do anything, then you're not doing according to what you're able. Because everybody's able to do something, right? And so it's not a show of amount. It's a show of, of your heart saying, okay, God, I don't, this is what I have. This is what I'm able to do. And so, so $2 donation. I think we paid, what, 12 cents in uh, PayPal fees for it. And uh, the, honestly, that was our biggest, one of our biggest expenses last year was PayPal fees. You know, like 3% or whatever it is they charge. Jerks. But, um, <laughs> PayPal jerks taking their kids. We're so trying to feed the kids. Like, how many kids we could have fed with PayPal fees? But, you know, it is, it is what it is. So, um, so that's what we do. And, uh, I believe we have a little bit of, uh, the nutritious, uh, sampling. And again, this was kind of a move of solidarity with the economy. Uh, people who maybe lost jobs or having hamburger helper tonight. Uh, we didn't yeah, want to do something lavish. Yeah, it's bountiful. Uh, it is nutritious. It's full of protein. Uh, <laughs> okay, it's not nutritious. I made up the nutritious part. Except for the one I made with soy milk. That one. That one's semi nutritious. Cue a clip. I got chewed out. I'll let you.